Welcome to the Give This Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Kai. This podcast is sponsored by the GPS Island Program, which Forbes has stated helps entrepreneurs become professional speakers. For more information, go to ChristopherKai.com. Our guest today is Rachel Richards. She's a best-selling author and finance guru. Rachel, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Christopher. I'm excited to be here. So first, I want to comment on your awesome book cover. I'm looking at it on LinkedIn now. <laughs> Thank you. I can't see the subtitle, but I can see the actual title and the picture. There's a, 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 a picture of a coffee cup with a, with a little image of a, a money bag, and then right below it says, money, honey. <laughs> That's right. So yeah, it's Money, Honey, and then it's a simple seven-step guide for getting your financial bleep together. <laughs> love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. So talk to us when you realize, and this is the unfortunate thing, Rachel, some people look at money as like a bad thing or they don't want to talk about it. And what incenses me and gets me very frustrated, and it's just funny because I literally meet a lot of people that are wealthy, and I hate it when they say, money's not important, Christopher. I'm like, and again, what I want to say, because I don't want to say because it's kind of rude, but I'm like, oh yeah, it's not important. That's why you drive a Range Rover, live in the Holland Hills and have another place in my egg. <laughs> they, they, they have this, this, this indignation where they have an issue with money. So first let's talk about, do you, did, you see, did you always see that money was important and powerful? It's not the most important thing, obviously, but I'm just curious. When did you realize that money is something that's important and real? And it sounds, sounds like a Simple, obvious question, but frankly, you have a lot of people that don't see money as important or they think it's evil, it's bad. So I'm curious what your, when did you start realizing that it was so important to you that, to, that you want to write a book about it? Yeah. So, I mean, my obsession, I'll say, with money started when I was young because I grew up in this really wealthy county. All of my friends went on these luxurious trips and people in my high school, when they turned 16, they were getting brand new BMWs. And I always felt at a young age that I, I just didn't fit in. And when you're in middle school and high school, that's not how you want to feel, right? Um, my family was always on a budget. My parents, you know, weren't going to be able to help me pay for college. I had to pay for college all on my own. And I, I grew up kind of feeling self-conscious. And I decided I don't want to grow up and become like everyone else. I don't want to always have to struggle with money. I don't want to have to operate on a strict budget. I don't want to have to borrow money from family and friends to make it to my next paycheck. I wanted to be different. And so what I've realized at a young age is that what I did then was either going to set me up for wealth or for poverty. And, you know, the thing is, how, Christopher, how young were you, by the way? Rachel? Oh, I would say when I started thinking that and realizing the, those things, I was in middle school. So wow. I don't know, 12, 13, 14, Got it. probably. Got it. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're really in a financial education crisis. At no point in our lives are we taught how to manage money. And then we're left as young adults to figure it all out on our own. So that's why we are all left feeling these negative emotions. You know, there's a lot of shame, guilt, embarrassment when it comes to money. And it's a shame because in our education systems, we're often just not given the resources that we need to learn about how to manage it. Yeah. Um, but to your point, Christopher, somebody once told me, this was David Osborne, he's like a real estate mogul. He pointed out, you know, most people's dreams have a financial component. And so there's nothing wrong with wanting to become wealthy, wanting to become rich, because that way you can give yourself the flexibility and the freedom to do what's truly meaningful and what gives you fulfillment. Yeah. And again, unfortunately, people don't realize, I, I remember I had a, I wrote a book on college success 20 years ago. And so I would do a lot of college admissions consultant work. And I had a, a, a young woman, she was 16, applying for college. And she lived in a $1 million plus house. 
And when I asked her, you know, so you tell me wh where do you want to go in life and what do you want to do? He's like, well, I don't know. I just want to live a comfortable life. I mean, what do you mean? He's like, oh, you know, like this house again. Yeah. I'm like, so I literally broke down by math. Well, this house has cost $1.4 million. So the mortgage would be this. And that means you have to make a few hundred thousand dollars, which means if you have to make a few hundred thousand dollars because your parents are wealthy, then you can't be a school teacher. You can't be doing this. So what she thought she needed or wanted is completely unrealistic because again, she's 16, she doesn't know this, right? So yeah, what you said is so powerful and important where it's so important to learn about finance because it really permeates everything through your life. It, it determines how you eat, where you eat, who you congregate with, the schools you go to, the places you live in, the car you drive. And it, it's just about peace of mind and options because like you, I grew up with very humble beginnings. My mom was a former school teacher. My dad's a former case manager. My grandmother, to this day, I still remember her. Many, she's since passed away, but I remember every single month, she'd always be nagging my dad, where is the welfare check? Where, you know, she was just on it. And mm -hmm. it just left an impression where like, I don't want to be like that person that's always literally fixating on a welfare check. And again, she was an immigrant, so it's a, it's a different time. But I hear what you're saying, and I really admire your passion and determination because you have that voice, which is great. So... Now I know why you are passionate about it. So tell us why you chose to even talk about this. Because it's one thing to learn about it and do it for yourself, but you've chosen to amplify your message and share your story with other people. So you're a finance guru <laughs> and a best-selling author. So let's just dive into your book, Money, Honey. So first of all, I love the title. So is it primarily for women, primarily for millennials, or for everyone? Or t tell us about the book. Yeah, for sure. So here's why I started writing the book. I was being approached, you know, after I was a financial advisor, even all throughout high school and college, all of my family and friends would come to me for financial advice because they trusted me and I loved helping them. But then I began to wonder, well, why aren't they learning on their own or reading or, you know, reading articles online? And then I had this aha moment and I realized, oh yeah, personal finance is boring, right? It's dull, it's intimidating, it's hard to learn about, it's really dry topic. So then I thought to myself, well, how can I take this topic and make it sassy and fun and simple? And that's where the idea for Money Honey came from. So it was really this market need that I saw. I felt like I could solve this problem where there weren't any finance books that were approachable for young people or for millennials. And that's what I did. I filled that market need. So my first book, Money Honey, is really geared towards female millennials. And it has done so much better than I ever could have expected. It's really resonated with that group. And it's, it really teaches people about money management in a, you know, just in an easy way. Yeah, share some of these easy ways that you have in your book. Yeah, so one of the concepts that resonates the most with people is my savings buckets. Okay, so I used to be super confused about how to save because a lot of finance gurus say things like, well, you need to save 10% of your paycheck or save 15% of your paycheck. But then I always thought, well, what do I do with this money? You know, I'm saving for multiple things. Maybe I'm saving just to go get drinks at the end of the week. Maybe I'm saving for <laughs> Christmas presents. That. Yeah, right? <laughs> We've been there. Um, maybe I'm saving for a trip home next year or maybe I'm saving for retirement. So I, it just felt confusing to me. So the savings buckets helps you sort of strategize out your savings by timelines. And there's four buckets. So bucket number one is for emergency savings. You know, always start with having at least $1,000 to cover any small unexpected expenses. Bucket number two is for medium term savings. So things you're saving for within the next 12 months. 
Bucket number three is long-term, and then bucket number four is retirement. So basically you fill these buckets up consecutively. You fill up bucket one, two, three, and then you're kind of always contributing to bucket number four. But once people kind of have that figured out for them, um, that, con that concept becomes a lot more concrete and it's easier to save and it's more motivating when you have all these different goals. So that's something that's really resonated with female millennials. I love that. And then, by the way, that can resonate with anyone, frankly, because the reality yes. is, and the unfortunate reality is, I remember that 69% of Americans have less than $1,000 saved in bank account. And about yep. half of the retirees are not ready for time. And again, if we as Americans are considered privileged and first world, well, can you imagine the whole world? So actually, I, I don't even need to imagine. Unfortunately, two thirds of people in the world or 3 billion people in the world have less than $2 to the name. So it's very easy to compare us with other people, but frankly, the world, we're already massively rich, but even in America, 69% of people have less than $1,000. So just you sharing those four basic buckets at least gives them a target and a clarity on how to help them. So thank you so much for that, that, that advice, Rachel. Yeah, of course. Book, I also love the title, which is Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. Talk, about, talk to us about that. Oh, thank you. I can't take credit for the title because my reader came up with it, but I think it's so awesome. Um, so what most people find, I guess, the most intriguing about me is that last year at age 27, I quit my job and retired. And by retired, I mean I became financially independent. So I'm now living off over $10,000 per month in passive income. So I kind of became this student of passive income. It's this buzzword. I wanted to learn all about it. Passive income, the way I define it, is it's money that's earned with little to no ongoing effort. Now, it's no get-rich-quick scheme. It does take time or money to create. But once you've built a passive income stream, it becomes a lot more hands-off. And I love the topic of passive income because I think it's a much more attainable way to retire. You know, instead of having to save one or two million dollars so that you can quit your job at age 65, you can simply create enough passive income. And once your passive income exceeds your living expenses, you're financially independent. Yeah. So in the book, I talk about 28 different passive income models and basically how to get started so you can retire early. So what was your main passive income model? I have two main ones. I have four total, but two main ones. I have rental income. So my husband and I, we own over 35 rental units in Kentucky. And then my other big income stream is the royalties from my book. So in February, I just had my first $7,000 month in book profit. And you have it. So do you speak at all as well? Because there's a lot of money in speaking on and coaching and doing workshops and doing private coaching. Yeah, I'm like one of these people. Are, I always have 50,000 ideas in my head of what I want to do. And I have done speaking. I, I've spoken on college campuses and it's been fine, but I am a strong writer. And that's actually the way I've discovered I love to influence and educate others the most. So nice. I have my two books. I'm starting to create online courses and I'll Great. probably continue to do, maybe I'll do a, a mastermind at some point, but that's really my strength. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for providing those real really concrete tips, but also simple things that we can all do. And that's the whole point of a book anyway, right? It's not about confusing people. It's about really simplifying things that they can really learn from and grow from. So Rachel, thanks so much for being on our podcast. How can our guests stay in touch with you and read your books and buy your books? Well, thank you, Christopher. So both of my books are on Amazon and Audible in ebook, paperback, and audio. And what I'll do for your listeners is anyone that's listening can download my free passive income bonus gift, um, totally free. So you can go to moneyhoneyrachel.com slash bonus.
Awesome. Rachel, thanks so much for being on our podcast. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our Gifters podcast. If you want to turn your story into a successful speaking or coaching business, go to ChristopherKai.com for details.